Hello and welcome back to the MSF Farm Talk podcast. You're listening to episode two in the Looking After Your Most Important Farm Asset series. MSF are proudly partnering with the National Centre for Farmer Health on this podcast series. So if you haven't already listened to episode one, all about health planning, then be sure to check that episode out right after you finish listening to this one. I'm Tegan Buckley from Mallee Sustainable Farming and joining me in this episode is Dr. Richard Lunds. Richard is a South African trained doctor with experience in science, research, education, and he holds a postgraduate degree in a number of different things from primary health to public health, OCMED, aviation, safety, and risk. Richard is based out of the Hamilton Medical Clinic in Victoria, and he's a valued team member of the National Centre for Farmers Health. We're talking all things zoonosis with a particular focus on Q fever in this episode. Welcome, Richard, and thank you for joining us. Thank you. Yeah, nice to be with you guys. Obviously, it's a cold, greyish morning in the Western Districts, but I think obviously the coffee's been had and everyone's got uh, warmed up with three hours of work already in the farming setting. So happy to be with all of you. Uh, thank you. Yeah, I know that I'm personally on to my second coffee today. And uh, yes, it's still early morning. Richard, can you tell us briefly a little bit more about yourself before we dive into this episode? Sure. So obviously, uh, my accent's a bit of a giveaway, but hello to all of you. I'm uh, what I describe as a lapsed South African who started uh, backpacking, backpacking years ago, and by default landed up in New Zealand and Australia. And so as a consequence of my background in growing up in country South Africa and learning the community health model of medicine as it was then, I've spent a lot of time in rural medicine and public health. And 10 years ago, I happened upon the National Centre for Farmers Health that was started by Professor Sue Brumby. I was doing a rotation for the Faculty of Occupational Medicine at the time. So helped her with the operationalization of it as she settled it up after some travel and uh, academic work in the States. And then went walkabout in the world of occupational medicine and rural medicine in New Zealand. And came back here when I decided to get fellowship with the College of Rural Remote Medicine. So I'm just finishing my second year of the college requirements and I do clinical work as a general practitioner. I work in the after hours and as a VMO and obviously in the context of National Centre Farmers Health work across their spectrum of work. Uh, a little bit more in advisory work and also just recently had updated an area of their needle stick injuries, which obviously is very important to all the farmers out there as well and be a mind that you need to present for that separately to what we're going to talk about tonight and today. But uh, that's obviously a big area that vaccination becomes an injury, which becomes a problem, especially with the mineral-based uh, vaccines out there. And uh, yeah, ongoing work and loving the area. So we're discussing uh, zoonosis in this episode. Now, it's quite a fancy word. Can you break down exactly what zoonosis is and what the real threats are for our farmers? I often joke when I explain this to medical students, but a good way to look at it is zoonosis. So zoo, thinking about animals, and gnosis as in nose and nuisance. So essentially what it comes down to is a zoonosis refers to diseases that can be passed from animals to humans. And obviously the important thing there is looking at it in the context of where it happens and how it happens. And uh, historically we've all sort of lived cheek and the jowl with animals, uh, but obviously farmers work 
in areas where animals are around them all the time and their workplace is their living place and naturally there are a range of families and contractors and subcontractors that are exposed to animals as well. And as we've seen recently, um, we also kind of have to look at it from an international point of view in terms of obviously what's happening now with corona and where people are working in what's called wet markets or where animals are coming in from the wild to be stored. And similarly, when we then look at it in terms of food supply is where the food source is and how it's handled. So it's something that is often taught as a extra in medical training and in infectious disease, but obviously is a common concern right now worldwide. And naturally with farmers is an ongoing issue day by day. Yeah, certainly. So how do diseases spread exactly from animals to humans? Well, naturally the relationship in terms of animal husbandry is such that uh, humans are in direct contact necessarily for cleaning, feeding, and doing. So there's that uh, skin to skin. There's oftentimes the environment that they're in in reference to uh, the work they do as slaughtermen, abattoirs, contractors, where there could be excretions and naturally the respiratory droplets that come from those areas. Um, farmers are obviously involved with birth and lambing, which is something which is going through at the moment. And there's the issues there of um, bloodborne and fetal uh, access. And strangely, which we always forget about, is that depending on what's the bug or pathogen, as is the medical term, they can be quite hardy and live in the environment and they can settle in the dust and or they can stay on hides of animals that are then used as a resource. So people that are using animals and obviously transporting them become exposed and families get exposed. And as has been seen in some settings, both in terms of regional communities and peripheral communities, even transporting livestock to abattoirs through urban centres, there's a concern in that setting as well. And then let's not forget, um, amongst all of us, we've domesticated animals to the point they become pets. So dogs, cats, birds and how they house, how they stored their feces. And as I always tell my son, if you're kissing their nose, remember what they've licked and kissed before that. So all those transmissions make up the wonderful zoo of diseases that we see. Yes, that's so true. So common illnesses are Q fever, ringworm, worm and scabbing mouth. How do we protect ourselves from these? Well, obviously I'm speaking to a group that are very good with looking at business practice, quality, safety, and naturally within that context, the issues that go with risk and liability. So it really starts at the top in terms of a hierarchy of controls. And naturally with occupational health and safety, the issue there is always to look at preventing something starting in the first place. So the workspace, the living space, and the work living space in farms becomes an issue. So farmers are really good at that. But I think it's a good opportunity now when we're talking about zoonoses and certain illnesses to revisit that. Um, the illnesses you talk about obviously have their own what we call epidemiology in terms of uh, how they start, grow, and develop and extend themselves, or pathogenesis, the medical term for what happens once they get into a human person or body. So at each site um, where people work, they've got to consider what they need to do. Uh, I can divide it into three parts. One is looking at safety controls within a workplace, looking at good public health in terms of preventative aspects, which obviously comes down to how people 
clean their space, wet down their space, PPE, which is personal protective equipment. And then obviously in a medical capacity, uh, certainly when it comes to Q fever, uh, there is the opportunity of vaccination. And obviously vaccination is at some stages uh, controversial in some conversations in terms of risk benefit, but certainly is important. And we've seen that now with regards to where corona might go, what's important with flu vaccine, and obviously for farmers, the QVAX vaccine is available and uh, has good outcomes both in terms of preventing and obviously, importantly, for those that aren't sure to get checked whether they need it or not. And that obviously becomes an issue to discuss further. Mm, yes, yeah, certainly. So let's move over specifically to Q fever because I know that a lot of our farmer audiences have a few frequently asked questions that uh, we would like to pick your brain when it comes to Q fever. So the first one is, can or should kids get vaccinated for Q fever? Interesting question. So in terms of how medicines and vaccinations are developed, as we know, it's quite germane in the press at the present time, is they go through various phases which allow them to be checked in humans, animals, clinical settings. And so in terms of the current vaccine as it is, it is actually not listed for children below 16 years of age on license. But there is a study going through in New South Wales at the moment because naturally the issue is that families, as said earlier, and as we all know, working in the communities and farming areas are on farm, on work site, and amongst all the potential animals causing the zoonoses or Q fever. So I'll have to revisit that with a link with an update if you are uh, going to kind of debate that further with me in terms of can it be given. Um, but basically the current recommendation is that it's not listed for children under 16, but naturally, as is anything in terms of what information we share today, every individual has to have the conversation with their family doctor or their general practitioner, either individually, one-on-one, or with or without their kids or about their kids and work through all those processes. Yeah, great advice. Thank you. So what happens if farmers have already been exposed to Q fever? Well, Q fever is interesting. Um, what I like about Q fever is that when I first heard about it, obviously having grown up in South Africa, I was only aware of it when I started really working and living in Queensland, doing my master's in public health. And so the, the issue around it was always Q fever as in Queensland fever, but in fact it's Q query fever. So in the 1930s, the... Um, people that were involved with assessing the rural folk at the time were aware that some people were getting a fever that just didn't sort of fit with an ordinary cold or flu. So the great thing about life and medicine is that if people are not checking if they've had an illness, we'll never know if they've had it or not. Some people don't know if they've had Q fever, and we'll get back to that in terms of both diagnosis and vaccination. Some people now have a, a mild viral or flu-like symptom, which, like a lot of us, we can put down just to cold or coughs, which in this current setting is important to kind of just take a segue out and say, remember, anyone that has a cold cough, dry cough, fever, you have to get yourself swabbed. We have to know if it's corona. And with all that's going on at the moment, we need to look at ourselves individually, but holistically, and not just look at a farm-related illness. And then characteristically, or the, the characteristic Q fever, which is what is described, is the idea that um, people talk about presenting with the cough, nausea, fatigue, and muscle ache, and then this drenching sweat, which can present literally within 6 to 12 hours in a typical 
setting of that approach. But naturally, as I've mentioned, some people might not know they've been exposed. Some people get the mild illness. And therefore, we have to both in the diagnostic sense confirm whether they've had it and in the preparatory uh, comments about prevention with vaccination is to check if they've had it. And that's a two-step process, which involves both getting tested with a skin sensitivity check and a blood check. And then the two are looked at together with the decision to go ahead with the vaccination or not. And then if someone's actually been exposed to it is to look at the blood work. And now with Q fever, there is both the acute there are the chronic, and then there's the post-Q fever fatigue syndromes. All of those are able to be assessed by the doctor at the time. I think what's important for your audience, though, is obviously um, it's important that everyone gets themselves checked for any illness and that everyone looks after their health and that all you blokes out there make sure that you check up yourself generally all the time and get some good men's health updates anyway. But specific to this area is that Q fever clinics run in all states they're Q fever registered practitioners. There's actually a Q fever registry of those that can give them. And also it's a notifiable disease. So those that have had Q fever actually have to be notified, which is important because, um, in fact, currently there's an outbreak going up in um, North Queensland around Townsville area. There's been previous outbreaks in New South Wales. Some of it's related to where the animals are and the context of the environment. But we've also seen that with the drought, that it's kicking up a lot of dust and exposing people to what they might not have thought about. So there's some tricky little issues around that about saying, okay, go and get vaccinated, check if you need it, work out where you need to get them. And for those that are unsure right now of being exposed, and obviously I'm speaking to your community, which is specific to the region down south, which is a little chilly, but we've all had our various shares of drought, floods, viruses, and other things, is to make sure that you're getting yourself looked at very quickly if needed. Yeah, thank you. So let's move on to the vaccination process for Q fever. There are a lot of mixed perceptions and uncertainty around this. Could you please break it down for us um, so that we can definitely be more informed about the process and how we do go about that if we wish to get ourselves vaccinated? All right, so as I said at the top of the show and just a general theme is obviously in medicine, we have an adage which is do no harm. So everything in medicine comes with people being explained to with why they're going ahead with something. Naturally, if someone's not sure about it and need more information, we can do that. If it's a case of literacy or culture or age, obviously we have to take that into account. You asked the question about 16-year-olds and uh, children, or I've mentioned 16-year-olds and, and under, but obviously there's the... Australian National Immunisation Schedule, which has its own um, limited um, workspace in terms of what people know, and they might need further questions around those. So if someone is getting vaccinated, they need to overlap on what their current immunisation history is. So if someone has made a decision to have the vaccine, which is highly recommended because it's there, it's effective, and it's available, it's Australian-made through CSL, no plug, but it's a local group who worked hard at uh, working up the necessary vaccine for local uh, concerns is you have to check in with a local provider who can give it. They have to be authorised. In each state, you can check up on the website to find out who gives it. It's usually a group booking because it's an expensive vaccine and it's usually done on an evening or session with the GP, the nurse or the clinic 
organised in advance with the booking. And because it's a two-step process and farmers are very busy people, long days, depending on when they're having it, summer, winter, they can organise to make sure that they come in for the initial skin tests and blood tests. And then the callback will then depend on when they can, how it's booked, but it's usually a week to 14 days later. And every person will have an individual response. So I can't say what it will be, but it will depend on whether the skin or the blood are both negative or positive or uncertain. And that will be, have to be discussed on the day. In my experience, obviously, I'm uh, here at the National Centre for Farmers Health, co-located within the Western District Health Service. Within the clinic, we run a pre-booked evening clinic. There is a designated provider. And everyone works to their professional requirements within the clinic in the evening. Obviously, we have a few little extras now with corona with the issues of people accessing and isolating how we'll do that. But that has to be worked at locally at each clinic. Um, more importantly is that if people need to find out more information before they have the vaccine, they can read up on it. Um, each state through their public health has got a option to read and be aware of that. And you can put a link on your website if you need to. Yeah, certainly. And naturally, with all vaccines, we have the day explanation of the vaccine in terms of the local versus systemic side effects, and it's just a precautionary statement. Uh, naturally, every vaccine has potential for a potential problem, but the way the vaccine is designed, the way it's given, if it's consented and sterile, it should be all okay. And then the follow-up. I think importantly, though, for all of us, male, female, young, old, is that a vaccine is one part of the hierarchy of controls, as I mentioned earlier. And it's important for people to look at it as a preventative process and the cost efficiencies built into how they see themselves because the individuals that get the illness or get the acute and ongoing problems, obviously, then have to look at the costs and the downside costs of that with working, not working, and the economics, the so-called what we call pharmacoeconomics, big word, and I got myself stuck yeah. in that one as well. Um, you know, and obviously like everything in life, risk-benefit, why you do it and when you do it. Um, so the vaccine needs to be discussed and explained in that context. Yeah, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for your expertise and time today covering Sinosis in this episode. And I'm sure a lot of our farmer audience took a lot away and um, as mentioned, I'll make sure that there's a list of resources that our listeners can refer to at the end of this episode so that they can make the decisions they need to make and consult with their own family doctors and GPs. That's great. Thank you, Richard, so much for coming on board. Pleasure. So two last comments. Please make sure it's a difficult, stressful time for everyone at the moment. So please just check in with yourselves, your community support people, partners, friends, blokes, mentors, and anyone that makes up your health supports, including your doctor, nurse, and friendly vet or footy manager. And for you blokes out there, like me, I struggle sometimes to remember to get myself checked. Please get out and check yourself. So this is all about bugs and animals, and we're a big animal as well. So please make sure you get yourself checked and follow up and look after yourselves. Take care and keep safe. Yeah, absolutely. And like this uh, podcast series with the National Centre of Pharma Health, uh, the, the title and name of this series is Looking After Your Most Important Asset on Your Farm. And that is The Farmer. So yeah, thank you, Richard. My pleasure. Wish you well. Have a good day. Keep warm. Keep safe, everyone. Don't forget to share this episode with a mate if you took some value away from it. And be sure to subscribe, rate and review our podcast Thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you in the next episode.